American United strives to serve those who serve. Ask them about their VA home loans, which offer up to 100% financing, often with no down payment required. Make an appointment to research your options. Learn more at amucu.org. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Welcome to Ideation Collective. I'm Jess Larson. It's Book Review Friday. Uh, today, my co-host is Daniel Taylor, co-worker at Ideation Collective. But when we refuse to acknowledge that importance they see in themselves, we're, we're going to create friction. Uh, that doesn't sit well with anybody when you don't respect them or you, 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 give them, you, give, you, you doubt their legitimacy. This is another episode of Innovation and Leadership. Today, we're going to be picking from the 400-plus books on business, marketing, and strategy that we've read and talking about one of them that we feel like can have a big impact on innovators and entrepreneurs as they try to invent the future. As always, in addition to learning from the show, we hope you'll consider clicking on the Child Rescue tab on our website, iCollective.co, to see how you can help change the life of a child that's been rescued from abuse and trafficking. Also, we love all of you who've been emailing to tell us what parts of the episodes you really liked or, or what was helpful to you. And to everybody else, if you have time, we'd love to hear from you. Just send me an email at stories at iCollective.co. And now on to the episode. Thanks for making time. Thank you. Um, so, again, we're, uh, we're going through a, a big list of over 400 business books that you've uh, listened to and, and dissected. Today, we're going to talk about one that most of you probably haven't heard of. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. And uh, we, you know, this is this is really, it's an all-time classic, but um, there's a reason why it has withstood the test of time. And just reading it recently, I am almost shocked at how comfortable it is to listen to this book um, and how easily, you know, how practical it is in my situations today, even though it was written in, in what seems to me a different era. But um, why don't you give us a premise? Uh, what is this book all about and, and why should we care? Yeah, um, well, it's a, it's a study that was done by uh, Dale Carnegie originally in 1936 um, that uh, he spent many years putting together, um, interviewing many of the most successful people of his time, the Bill Gates and Warren Buffetts of his time, and also doing things like um, I think they read a hundred biographies on one individual and uh, extensive research on others, and he, he really felt like at the time nobody had created a really substantial course on human development and human relations. And so, what started out as a regular class, I believe he taught in Manhattan, um, ended up becoming a book that you know has become this huge bestseller right? Um, for, for how many decades? Um, and, uh, it was his effort really to, to build a course on human relations that was not just opinions that was based on experience. Um, and I think that's, like you said, one of the reasons that stood the test of time. Right. Um, and there are so many amazing principles in here, um, and, and awesome examples to go along with it. But I feel like he, he returns to it several times that, Ultimately, the way to get people to do what you want them to do is to give them what they want. 
um, which is very simple in a sentence. But why is it so difficult sometimes in client relations, in internal relations um, with employees and managers, and bosses, and even even personal relations? Why can it be so hard for us to give people what they want? I think, you know, we all have this natural responsibility to feed ourselves, to feed our families. Um, you know, maybe it's in our genes, you know, self-preservation, these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's so tempting to stray into selfishness and self-focus um, and, and to tempt us to ignore uh, those around us. Right. Um, and so when that compounds on itself over years or decades of self-focus, of giving people just enough to get what we want, things like this, um, it, it can become almost like a thick candy shell, <laughs> right? Right. That, that it's like these barnacles that are slowing us down, um, where to get better at something, you typically have to focus on it, learn about it, and, and repeat it over and over to build those new neural pathways. And, you know, those brain science books we like talk about the talent code, Daniel Coyle, right? Wrapping myelin, mm-hmm. the, that insulation around the neural synapses that help you think faster. The more we can practice these principles that he's talking about of talking in terms of other people's interests and actually taking the time to learn someone's name and remember it. And um, these small things that uh, are easily overlooked that we can get away with not doing because most other people don't do them. It really sets you out from the crowd that you care about someone that deeply. You know, I feel like um, so many of the chapter titles, uh, they're almost like a bait and switch where it's this title of this very self-interested kind of thing, mm-hmm. how to win friends, you know, do this and you'll be welcome anywhere. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then the principle at the end is like the best way to, to trick someone into thinking you're sincere, actually be sincere, yeah. <laughs> you know, right. Yeah. Um, and you know, people like my heroes, uh, my grandpa bridge, my mom's dad was my hero in life, uh, wealthy self-made entrepreneur, um, gave a ton of service to his church and to those in the community, um, the lions club and these kind of things. And this is, this is a book that he talked about having such influence on him. You know, I, I read a, you know, I think I counted 6,000 pages of Warren Buffett books and it comes back over and over of like the style that he manages all these CEOs that, you know, that run his companies that, you know, Berkshire Hathaway's companies, the guy that runs Dairy Queen, the guy that runs the, the, um, rail line, all these things, is very much um, this Dale Carnegie, you know, praise people, get really uh, intent on actually listening to them as a person kind of messages that are taught. Um, And again, you know, the greatest investor in the history of the world. Uh, This is his operating mode, you know, standard operating procedure. Pretty, pretty intriguing for me. That's why it's so amazing. Um, on a one, you know, it works one to one, person to person. But uh, he gives plenty of examples of back in the day, and, and we've seen this again and again today with people like Warren Buffett. It works on a mass scale. Uh, he talks about, I think uh, Rockefeller was dealing with a strike in Colorado, I want to say, and it was like it had turned into like a, you know, a bloody uh, strike where people were uh, being killed and whatever. And and Rockefeller has probably interacted with these employees on a minimal basis, if any, right? And he shows up and he says, I think he says outright, you know, I may not know you personally, but I've interact, you know, I've been in your homes and, and I've been, I've been working, I've been alongside you working and I've listened to you and I've tried to understand your problems and your plight. Um, and, and then he goes on and he talks in their terms and he listens to them and then he gives them what they want. 
he gives them the raise. Um, but he does it um, in a way that they think, you know, this guy really cares about us. And so nothing, I mean, like never heard from again, those people. The strike was over, everything was back to normal, and, and productivity um, went up from there. It's amazing to me that when you do have a small group of people or you're one-on-one or you have a huge group of people um, that you can have such sway with them. Um, have you seen this work in your experience or with other companies where um, almost miraculous outcomes have happened as a result of giving people what they want and truly listening to them and giving true praise? Any examples come to mind? Uh, m- more than I can count, yeah. right? Um, you know, the, these simple principles like Hey, the worst criminals in society don't blame themselves for things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So when you criticize, condemn, or complain, what makes you think someone who's not nearly as bad as that is going to start taking it, right? right? Um, As I look at people, um, you know, I look up to somebody like Lindsay Hadley. We talk about on the show a lot because I've worked with her so much over the years and watched her meteoric rise uh, working with, you know, these movie star clients and other people. raising hundreds of millions of dollars for charity at the events that, that she executive produced. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and someone like her is so unlikely to criticize or condemn or complain. I mean, just drastically, if she's going to bring up a problem, she brings it up indirectly in the best possible light, giving the chance for someone to do something different. Right. Uh, she is not there to beat somebody over the head with their mistakes. Um, and yet she is so complimentary. I mean, I think of a uh, a couple of women that really stand out to me like that. Um, it's really my wife. It's Lindsay Hadley, and it's it's Rachel Evans. And when you meet them, like their default position is they think you're awesome and they love you, and they're <laughs> yeah. they're uh, so quick to tell you something about you that they genuinely like. It's yeah. not this false praise that like a lot of salesmen get caught doing, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and you kind of like have to knock yourself off the pedestal. Yeah. Right? You have to bring yourself down by your actions. Yeah. They automatically put you up top um, versus somebody like me or maybe most of the rest of us where it's like, well, I don't think you're that great. Prove to me how awesome <laughs> you are. You got to earn it, buddy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and yet I see just how incredibly magnetic they are and how people will do anything for them. And... um you know, the book talks about Charles Schwab, the first American to ever make a million dollars a year in salary. Yeah. And how he says that most of the men, you know, a huge majority of the men under him know more about making steel than him. Why is he making a million bucks a year? Exactly. And it was his ability to work with the people. Right. And, um, you know, those are lessons that that uh, seem to be repeated generation after generation um, and yet are practiced by so few. Yeah. Uh, so many people can recite them but they haven't taken the time and the discipline to actually learn how to remember people's names. Instead, they say, oh, I'm terrible with names, thinking that lets them off the hook. Yeah. And it does in the sense that they blend in with everyone else, mm-hmm. but they don't get those huge advantages of, of um, that individual care right. that people who pay that price get. Right. And it intertwines you know, with the rest of the book when, when you're really trying to get people to do what you want. Um, it has to come from within them. Uh, he talks about developing an eager want within somebody um, and talking in their terms and getting them to respond with affirmatives rather than no. Um, in international development, I studied a little, a little bit in college, we talked about homegrown development, whereas in the past we've you know 
there's plenty of examples, but most often we cite the white man going to all these other countries and instituting their religion and their way of life and 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 even their borders and the disasters that that has caused. Um, and then the e- examples of success when instead they went and they developed an eager want in others. These principles have like changed nations and communities. It's awesome. Um, how have you... Um, in working with clients or coaching CEOs or at Ideation Collective, how have you, um, you know, gotten others to talk and not only uh, talk, but to talk in their terms and to have a conversation in their terms and get them to use affirmatives? How, how do you cultivate that kind of a conversation or relationship? Yeah, cer- certainly in sales, um, when you can get the chance to meet someone, I mean, that's why I love having sales meetings over lunch, right? It's yeah. like, politically incorrect to talk about business before the food gets there. Yeah. So you've got like 20 minutes to find out what their worldview is. Right. And when you can start, when you can start to find out the way they see the world and, and you can make those um, educated guesses on what's important to them, what's not important to them, and then you can phrase what it is you're offering in terms of, of what there's a high probability that they care about. Sure. Um, it, it, you know, been able to secure, you know, some very large contracts and, and a large number of contracts by not doing the one size fits all thing. Right. 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 Um, I, I think, you know, I keep harping on this, not condemning and complaining thing. Um, you know, we, we live in this troll culture with so much negativity that gets set online. People, yeah. a little bit of anonymity and people get so harsh mm-hmm. and so critical and they feel so entitled to be so harsh and yeah. critical. Yeah. And, um, that kind of indulgence in something that we usually actually don't feel good about doing in the first place. I mean, it's such a source of human friction. And if you're going to get an organization, you know, if you're going to get a company, which is really just a group of people to outperform the competition, friction is the exact opposite thing you want. And so I think for me, um, one of the things this book helps me do is remind me to bite my tongue. There's plenty of times I'd like to point out what's not helpful, what didn't work. And, um, it's almost like I've been personally offended that they did it wrong, you know, and this book specifically, and, and those in my life that have like modeled these principles, um, it goes right along. I I know I talked about the Arbinger Institute or, uh, Marshall Rosenberg's got his book, nonviolent communication and, um, being able to kind of like take a step back and say, like, am I going to indulge in my, am I going to indulge in what I feel like doing right now? Or am I going to be worried about progress? Yeah. And am I going to talk about going forward or do I want to rehash the past um, to indulge my emotions when I can weigh those out and go, uh, you know, wait, you know, raking somebody over the coals or letting them know that I, I think they did it wrong. That might me feel temporarily better or, you know, vindicated. Yeah. Um, and is absolutely not going to do anything to help this organization reach its goals. Right. Um, I think that's one of the ways yeah. that, that it's, help me maybe try to have a greater desire to conquer myself. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, and along with, you know, getting people to talk and, and to talk amongst in their terms, um, I really like, he talks a lot about recognizing the importance that others see within themselves. I think a lot of times we might fear, uh, acknowledging the importance that someone else sees in themselves. Uh, we might fear that we're, whatever we say, whatever we do is going to go to their head. Um, but when we refuse to acknowledge that importance they see in themselves, we're, we're going to create friction. Uh, that doesn't sit well with anybody when you don't respect them or you, you, you give them, you give you, you doubt their legitimacy. 
Um, but, you know, he talks about a high school teacher recognizing one of his students, um, his talent and also his need for that recognition. And, and so he's like, you know, you should join the advanced class and the student's about to get emotional. The teacher's about to get emotional. And, um, but how much that meant, it wouldn't have meant the same for all those other students. Right. Um, it's the same, same, same story in, in working with clients and, and, uh, coaching your CEOs and our work at ideation collective with, uh, working with employees and, and clients. Um, what, what is it that you have done to show people, uh, that you recognize their importance and, and to that you respect their importance? You know, I feel like lessons from the book along those lines, um, they sound so simple and I think that's why most people skip them. But like there's a whole chapter on the value of having a really big smile mm -hmm. when you show up. Yeah. And um, it sounds like such a stupid little thing and it sounds like something we all know, but, but most of us don't practice it to the frequency the book talks about. Mm -hmm. Yet if you actually read the chapter, it, it really, I really got sold on, wow, this is, <laughs> this is a significant competitive advantage because not enough people do it. You yeah. can stand out, right? Um, things like where it talks about, um, showing up and letting them talk, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I think that I naturally dominate a conversation if, if I don't govern myself. Yeah. Uh, and because I have taken the career path I've taken, I, I've been able to be a part of things that sound fancy. So it's really easy to get involved in one, um, one upmanship. Yeah. If I was to let myself and, and try to compete about, Oh, well, well then I, you know, reminds me of the time I did such and yeah. such. Right. And having the mental framework, like coming into conversations with the theoretical framework that they really don't want to hear me talk. Mm -hmm. That's not why we're having this conversation. Mm -hmm. Most people have so many insecurities and they have so few people who are sincerely interested in them and willing to listen to them that they're showing up to this conversation with all sorts of feelings about themselves that they are trying to vindicate with this external proof and doing them the favor of letting them talk about themselves and, and overcome some of this insecurity. It actually lets you get on more of a level playing field where, um, they all of a sudden want to start hearing about you. Right. And, um, I've never got anybody as interested in my products by talking about them as I have by, you know, maybe um, name dropping this little fact or, or giving them this indication that this and this has happened through a conversation, yeah. but letting them do 80% of the talking along the way until they've, you know, like John Verhessen's say, <laughs> blown all the winds out of the sails mm -hmm. or pulled the top off the, the pressure cooker and all the steam came out, right? Yeah. At that point, when they feel very listened to, it's such a natural um, reaction to A, think, oh, this was a great conversation. Yeah. <laughs> and then B, say, but tell me more about what you do. Yeah. And that reciprocation of having been listened to makes them so likely to listen. Yeah. And if at that moment we don't get all self-promotional and self-focused and manipulative, if we just honestly talk to them about what we're doing and what we're offering and, and why, why we're offering it, um, there's so much reception that happens and whether it's influencing a bank officer to give you a loan or inf influencing a staff potential staff member to join the company or any of these things. Um, it's a recipe that I think a lot of other people before us have done and the book teaches us how to do. And 
and I've seen successful in my observations. Definitely. Even last night, I was with my dad and my two brothers, and um, you know they've been working. They're a lot older than me, and they've been working a lot longer than me. And so naturally, their conversations for years have been about work and things. And and I've always been this, you know, I've always been in college. You were the tag along, or or yeah, the tag along. And I nobody turned and asked me, you know, what are you doing? Uh, last night, though, you know, my brother's like, "Hey, how's work going? How are things going?" And it's amazing how it makes you feel. But if I had gone up to him and been like, dude, want to hear what's going on with me? He would have been like, uh, yeah, sure. And he would have like glazed over and been thinking about some other thing. You know, um, it's totally true. And it goes a lot further. It makes you feel great. It makes other people feel great. Um, and let's shift gears a little bit. But I want to talk about empowering people, making them feel that way. Um, but in a new light, you know, our work at Child Rescue, we're com- combating sex trafficking in the U.S. and abroad. And... Um, you know, I, was it last year we had our uh, rescue mission down in Cusco, Peru? Lima. Lima, yeah. Peru. And we're working to build an aftercare orphanage in Cusco, Peru. Um, but what is it in that work? How do you how do you apply these kinds of principles of, of smiling and recognizing people's importance and, and getting them to talk and listening, giving genuine praise? How, how do you incorporate these kinds of principles into the work of child rescue? Yeah. Well, you think about something like that, um, you know, there's a really great – uh, organization in the same field that was was putting that on and, and it asked for some financial support to help it happen. And we'd seen their work in the past and, and we were so impressed with it. And I think it's their sincerity. Um, and and to be honest, they had they had really modeled this. You know, they had scratched our back first and they had they had taught us things and allowed certain members of our team to go on an undercover mission with them. And they had done so much for us that it was very easy for us to want to financially support the work that they were doing. Right. Um, and, you know, dollars are precious and there's a lot of good could be done a lot of places. And so you got to be smart about where you put it and when. And um, it was extra easy to want to help them with that at that time. And, and certainly as we, um, you know, we're sending out emails to the people who have supported us in the past of, of um, why this mission mattered and, and why we had, chosen to partner with them to help provide some of this money for it. Um, it was the kind of thing that it wasn't a hard call because, um, because it was so sincerely for the kids and because we were trying to do it in the way that is like, give what's comfortable for you. Let let us know if this works for you. Right. And if not, no big deal. We just love if you'd post it to your social media. Yeah. Um, and we kind of, we gave them that back door, you know, and, and we let them, you know, he talks about um, this idea of, you know, what the Asian um, culture would call saving face, yes. right? Yeah. Um, rather than pressuring people or trying to weasel them into it or make them look bad if they didn't or shame them or something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, we had huge numbers of people who just posted it. And it was, it was in comparison, it was a smaller percentage that donated, right? Right. Um, but for us, you know those good feelings of somebody feeling like they could do something positive when maybe financially they didn't feel like it or financially they weren't able to, um, that really helps in the future to, to have that large child rescue family to be able to go back to. Right. Right. Um, and it was, it was the same thing for, for when they asked us to do that work, to raise that money. Right. Yeah. Um, they had, they had complimented us on the things that they thought we were doing Right. And listen, they'd done this longer than us. Yeah, um, they're actually in country in Central America, and and 
quite frankly, I would say they do more hands-on work than us. Um, so, you know, I'm sure they thought there were things we could do better. I'm sure there's things today they think that we could do better. And they kept those things to themselves, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and they encouraged us and built us up and, uh, we felt really cared about by them. So it was, it was easy to want to try and care for them back. Yeah. I think that's one way. Great. Thank you. Well, before we wrap up here, um, what's your final sales pitch for why people should, you know, reach back into the past and pull out this book and why, why this can help them in, in entrepreneurial endeavors and, and other things. Yeah. As, you know, I think about as a parent, you know, the, the, <laughs> we all typically, most of us are, are so easy to condemn and complain when it's our children right? and we don't treat them like we would an investor, mm-hmm. right? We don't mm-hmm. put them with that same level of importance. Yeah. I don't know if you remember the, the Johnny Hanna episode yeah. where yeah. his wife is like, would you do, <laughs> would you be checking your texts in the middle of talking to your investor? Yeah. And she, she calls him on stuff, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, you know, in our, our relationships with our significant other, our relationships with our staff, investors, vendor, vendors, everybody, um, there's just magic about actually caring about other human beings. And it feels like it's inefficient up front. Yeah. It feels like um, you're giving something up short term to not say what you think or to let them do the talking when you feel like you've got something you want to say, right? Yeah. Um, the long-term benefits are just so drastic that yeah. any short-term price is worth it. And I feel like this is this is like a how-to guide on how to be a better person, yeah. how to be a better human. Um, and so I think that's my my sales pitch. What's yours? Awesome. Um, honestly, I think uh, it is hard for us. I think we're innately built to think of ourselves and look after ourselves. And it's hard to know where to start and what what we should be working on and trying to really care about others and and what that looks like practically. This book, I feel like, gives that to you in the business sense and and in your personal relations. I feel like it's very clear these are skills I can develop to, to really, you know, care about other people and change the way I treat and work with other people and my own success. So, well, thank you. Thanks so much for making time and for sharing that with us. We'll see you next time. Bye. That was another installment of book review Fridays. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll also check out child rescue uh, from the menu on our website, iCollective.co. And if this episode or any other episode really stood out to you or or you have a story to tell us, please email me um, at the email stories at iCollective.co. Thanks so much. At Farmers Insurance, we know a roof can withstand a lot. One exception being an airborne car. Seen it, covered it. Click for more. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Underwritten by Farmers Truck Fire Insurance, Exchanges and Affiliates. Products not available in every state.